mean? Let's give it all uh, a big hello to Catherine Hardwick. Hello. I am so, so grateful for your time here. Um, the, the things you blew my mind open for prep, I just, I needed the world to, to know and share. So thank you for joining us for that. Um, can we just dive right in and just talk about, you get a script, the minute you get a script, what do you do? Well, do you have a process? Yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing I do, of course, just reading it and like try, trying to read it just without making any notes and just feel it and how do I experience it, maybe go outside. Then I'll start doing notes and breakdowns and, you know, uh, like trying to visualize it. Really, that's one of my first things. I'll start to like put pictures up on the wall or, you know, source things online and just find out all the cool stuff that's inspiring. And I have a lot of art books that I'll find out, oh, that reminds me of this painter or this uh, cool location I've been to. And I'll look through my picture files and just start collecting like that, building like an image world. And of course I'll go through and do all the notes. If it's a script that I haven't written, you know, like what, what could be better? How can I feel some, how can I make a better transition? You know, uh, usually I'm always trying to shorten it a little bit because I like to start a script with, that's under a hundred pages um, because by the time you shoot it, it always grows and grows and grows. And then you never have enough money to shoot what you want. So you've wasted money on scenes that are not going to be in the movie. So I try to do that some of that round one at least of editing in the script version so i don't waste a lot of time money departments energy on things that really when you think about it yeah that could go and if you give yourself the exercise like how could i take 10 pages out right now if i need to if it's 110 pages and if a scene to me if a scene is kind of like on the edge, like maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. Then I just say, okay, push it over into the garbage. <laughs> it's going, it's going away. If you can live without it, maybe you can pack some of that juicy good parts into another scene, you know, and 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 get double duty from another another scene, you know. It gets tricky too because when you're as a director, we can see we don't really need this scene, but sometimes that scene is tied to one of the stars in there that we need to keep it in. And there's all these facets, right, of like. And where that, you decide. And that's why you hope that you don't um, give the script to a star that they won't, so that they won't fall in love with something until you're ready for that script to go. So sometimes people are so anxious, like, we've got us in this today. You know, we heard we have this chance. I'm like, look, if you wait three days or wait a week or whatever, we can make it better because you're only going to get one chance with that star, you know, to read it. And Let's not put things that we know we can't shoot or, you know, things that could turn out to be a problem later on. Right. Um, you mentioned transitions, and I think that's probably one of filmmakers. That's one of the hardest things to decide. Are there certain rules you have for yourself or is it kind of just a feeling you get on transition? Well, you know, sometimes actually I was on a movie in New Orleans and we had to stop because of the pandemic. So my DP and I were able to spend like, you know, many days um, on Zoom trying to think, you know, some we had time that we never usually get to have to think of the most poetic, artistic, beautiful, powerful or hard cut transitions that would work for each scene. So that was kind of a neat exercise to just actually try to elevate it beyond, you know, we usually don't have that kind of time. Usually when you know you're going, you know, the DP's 
on for X amount of days in prep and, you know, they're on another show. And so we really spent a lot of time thinking about the sound transitions, visual ways to go connect things. So that's really, that was exciting. I mean, I hope we get to go back and do the film now. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fingers crossed we'll go out in the world again. Um, John, let us know if you've gotten uh, her stuff up. It didn't, it didn't work because okay. it wouldn't even uh, send the email. So I have, you know, a fun presentation that we cannot seem to make. I know. I'm going to share it, but this new system does not let me screen share. So one thing I do have is I have some of the images printed out. So cool. it's kind of lame. But I pull <laughs> things up, you know. <laughs> I it's it is a bummer because I think that like the the stuff that you could show us is you know mood boards and plots and stuff are just mind blowing. Uh, is there a place you like to start when you when you kind of start talking about prep? Yeah, I mean honestly, one of the first things I usually show is this image. Okay, let me see what. Uh, oh, okay. Wait, I'm so bad. Okay, how about that? Can you guys see it? Yeah, actually, it is a floor plan of the house that we shot in. Oh, cry. Okay, that we shot in in 13. And it shows a plot, you know, of where every actor can. Well, I'm going to figure this out. Every actor walks in, you know, to the space. Okay, let me, I, mean, I got a new plan how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so like every actor would walk in. I would know where everybody was going to go. I'd know all my camera angles. And so I found out that it was better for me. Okay, I'll put it back up again if, if we need it. It was better for me to do like a diagram instead of storyboards. Because in this case, 13 was uh, about two teenager, 13-year-old uh, girls that had a lot of energy and a lot, and you know, the camera I decided had to be moving a lot because of my experience with Nikki and Evan, their emotions were just changing so much. I mean, they would be happy one moment and, you know, dancing around and doing all this cool stuff. And then somebody would give them a, a phone call, come in and they would just dissolve into tears and, you know, or just get totally depressed and I, or just leave the house and run and do this or go in the other room and slam the door. So I thought I want this to be kind of film like, almost like war photography, where you don't know where the next explosion is going to be. You're going to run here and here. So storyboards didn't work for me because that's very static. You're only drawing like one shot and then here's the next shot and here's the next one. Whereas I was going to have somebody run all the way into this next room. So I thought, and I've actually used this technique on everything, diagramming it out. Now, the thing about this, this is the house where we shot on 13 and we had um, over because it was a very low budget movie, we had over 50 to 60 to 70 percent of the scenes are in this one house. So you can imagine that I actually Xerox this like you know 50 times that there are 50 scenes, and then I made myself draw out the pattern, the movement, and the camera locations for every single scene. So that when I because I had a very tight shooting schedule, which you know, you never have enough days. You're always racing the clock, the sun. And in my case, both girls were 14, so they couldn't even work. You know, they could work like eight and a half hours or something like that. And so um, uh, I had to be super efficient 
and just be able to know the camera's going here, the camera's going here. This, these are the shots that I need. And I was doing it in a way we had a B camera, but I wanted it to be moving masters because I wanted it to feel like you're really there with the people. So I had to create these moving masters where you have foreground and then background, middle ground. So you could get a lot of depth in the frame without having to cut to this character cut to that character. I just didn't want a lot of cuts if I could help it. So that's why it was quite tightly planned out. So people think, okay, this looks like a documentary if you've seen 13, but it was not just run and gun with the camera. I knew where every camera position was going to be and where everybody was going to stand. And um, something about that house Am I, should I? Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, no, this is great. I, I will, I have questions when you're done, but this is keep going. Okay, so um, the house made a big difference. And let me try to explain something. My, okay, whoops, okay. Looking at this floor plan, you can see that there's a lot of, I would call them like lines of sight. Like from here, you can see all the way through multiple rooms. There's a window here, there's a hair salon, there's a kitchen, the laundry room, and a glass door. This direction you could see from the hair salon, the entry to the living room, the bedrooms you could see all the way through. So that means you could always build up a lot of depth in every shot. And actually where I'm standing right now is an example of that. Right now you could see somebody come through that door. It could be in the same shot with me. You could see somebody go into that other room. So when I was location scouting, that's one of the first important things. What house do you choose? And, you know, for me, the criteria for that house, it's actually a little bit similar to this house. I wanted those lines of sight. I wanted like the glass doors into different rooms like you see here. And then uh, if you can have something with a high ceiling, obviously that's helpful. But another thing is actually this, this solves it too. We painted the walls a darker color, like a, a blue in this case, so that you would not have a lot of light bouncing off surfaces that, that you can't control. And uh, we also wanted a lot of windows. Okay, now this is a good example, this house, because that way we could light through the windows and we could position people near the windows and you didn't have to have a lot of light stands in the scenes. That way people could move around the house freely. So it was less lighting time and we planned it all out. Like the cinematographer, Elliot Davis and I, we went to the house and then we moved the furniture around because you know that a woman like Holly or any one woman is going to look better if they have a nice soft wall of light coming on their face. So you don't put the couch back to the wall and then that's where she sits because then the lighting isn't going to be as nice. So we basically feng, feng shui the whole thing and made the light and the furniture fit in places that would be good for shooting, but felt natural. And then when we, and I acted out every scene, <laughs> like, okay, if I was Holly and I came home, maybe she would have come home and sat down on this chair so she could look out the door and keep an eye on her daughter. And that makes her be open to the windows and it looks good for the light. So you try to think it through on every level so that when you come to shoot, you come to rehearse and come to shoot, it kind of flows naturally and makes sense. And you don't have to get an arc a big argument with, with the characters because it feels comfortable already and you've already acted it out and it works. Um, I love it. I love it. I think so when you are, when you're planning out all of your films and you're like, okay, I, 
I, I'm going to put cameras here. I'm going to have all this movement. Is there like, how do you as a director figure out blocking is just such a, like a, it's a craft in itself. It's an art of its own. So how do you decide how blocking is going to work? You know, if I'm going to have them moving around, if I'm going to have two people just sitting at a table talking, is there something that dictates that for you? Yeah. I mean, of course, um, my training is I'm an architect. So as an architect, you have this thing called a skill called pre-visualization or structural visualization. So I'm lucky that I can kind of think three-dimensionally like that. And everybody could probably train themselves to do that too. But, you know, maybe there's different tools that can help you. Like if you go to a location and you have one person with you, your, your intern or your best friend or any or your DP or the location scout or the homeowner. I usually just have my camera and I say, oh, would you mind to stand there? You know, would you mind to sit there? Would you do this? You know, and I just enlist everybody around me <laughs> to be in the scene kind of so that I actually go ahead and create the scene like on the movie Miss Bala, uh, we I had to go out to, we had a big action sequence in this bull ring in Tijuana. And so I, I was like, there was no set and I needed cars there because that was the main set where this car pulled up this car. So I told production, I've got to go out there one day and I need to have, uh, you know, four cars. And that's, that's how I'm going to figure out where to shoot stuff. So the drivers of the cars, they were from a rental, like just a rental company. I told them in Spanish, would you guys mind to play like bad guys? And, you know, so I asked the drivers to jump out of the car and like pretend to be the bad guys. So basically anybody that's around, I would just grab them. And the driver, most people get into it. They love helping you. Like the driver went into the trunk. I'm like, what's he doing? He pulls out these windshield wiper blades. He goes, I can use these for guns, you know? <laughs> So it was cool. And I, I mean, I have no qualms on a location scout. I just ask everybody, the producer, would you guys all lie on the floor to be, you know, people that are hiding on the floor or getting shot at or whatever it is, you know, be a dead body. I'll, I'll ask anybody to do anything. You know? So that way I can start to see it. I get a sense. You know, I don't want to just go on a location scout and only learn one thing about my movie. I want to learn 10 things about it. So I'm going to be taking photos from different angles, putting people into pose for it. I mean, on on uh, Don't Look Deeper, uh, uh, Shada Frost works with me. She was associate um, co-producer on it. She's been my kind of assistant and built up to co-producer and all that. And I knew I wanted the character to wear this blue hoodie in certain scenes. So I went and bought, you know, an on sale blue hoodie and told her, please wear it, you know, on our location scouts. Um, and so she wore it. And that way I could see if I really like that color or not in the set. I love it. You actually have a, another great story about um, doing a tech rehearsal and a sort of previs where, um, where you took the skaters and the skateboarders out and you said you put everybody had different cameras. Can you tell that story? Oh yeah. That's a good one too. Like maybe I can, I might have a book that has that too. Um, hang on. Let's see. Oh yeah. Um, we had a day that we, I said, we've got to figure out, you know, who's going to use the camera. Uh, what kind of camera are we going to use? 
And, you know, one guy says, so we decided to have like a skate day. We found a location that we thought we were going to use in the movie, which was an empty pool. This is on Lords of, on Lords of Dogtown. And um, so we had, everybody was invited out that thought they could be a skate cameraman. Like one guy goes, I can carry two 35 millimeter cameras, one on each arm and still skate. I'm like, okay, let's see, <laughs> you know, or people had like, you know, doggy cam that they used or bit sea biscuit cam they used on a horse race movie. Any ideas we had. So we brought the skaters and we brought everybody out to the pool that day. And as long as we're going to be there, I'm like, well, why don't we have the actors there too? And with their the right wardrobe. So we told wardrobe, let's get the, you know, get the vans and get the Levi's and all that stuff. So that way you could see how it works. And we just tried to get, okay, this is kind of, I guess I was looking for this picture, you know, where you can see a bunch of us in the pool. Um, you know, um, and so we would just do tryouts and try to get as many elements in place because you start, you learn about everything. Like the more, the more, the closer to shooting it is, even in your rehearsals, the, the closer that you learn, oh no, it doesn't work wearing those white t-shirts or those jeans don't work very well, you know? So I just try to get everything up to the highest level possible, even in rehearsal, you know, and try to have the furniture there. Or if the key prop is the, you know, weird glass they're supposed to be holding that's awkward, well, let's bring that weird glass because that's, that's what it's about. The scene's about, you know. I love it. Um, so one of the things that you do that's fascinating to me is your mood boards. Because you don't just do like, I don't know, throw up some colors. Like you make some mood boards that could be like coffee table books. <laughs> so <laughs> what, is your, what, what is your philosophy behind that? Like I know you said one of the things that I was actually um, – drawn to is you even said when you create any kind of pitch deck, you don't even use known actors. You always use faces that are, that aren't somebody they could actually cast, which is the opposite of anything I've ever heard, but makes so much sense. Well, the reason I do that is, and it could be wrong, and but I feel like sometimes if you're pitching, let's say you're pitching a TV show and you put a really awesome, let's say you put Naomi Watts in there and then they're like, oh my God, I can see Naomi. Do you know Naomi? You think she'll do it, you know, or she's, right. or she's already on another show committed to this or that, or you can't get Naomi and you can't get anybody that pain. And then it's disappointing from there, you know, so, or what if Naomi is doing another show and you want to go to another actress and then Naomi's picture <laughs> is accidentally sent by the agent in the lookbook. What? They want to nail me first instead of me. So there's a lot of ways it can go wrong, but some ways it could go right too. I mean, maybe you could have a page that has a whole bunch of different choices so that you know that we're not stuck on this person. But usually I try to find somebody that's not super famous, but maybe has a great bunch of awesome photos of different emotions on Instagram or, or where, right. you know, and then also, I usually try not to put in my lookbook, I don't try to put images from other movies so much, you know, because I want to show, hey, this is an original idea or, you know, I'm going to do it in a unique way. I mean, sometimes you can't find a good image right. except from another movie. So questions to keep coming in. And there's one that kind of comes in that's similar here and there, but um, 
I'll put up uh, Patinarita. That's your screen name. That's a crazy name. Um, as a director, how do you balance having a clear vision with welcoming collaborative ideas from your DP and production designer? I think that even goes just how do you get all of your team on your page? Okay, that is a great question. I mean, sometimes for me, before I even have a DP or production designer, I start collecting my own images, even as I'm working on the script or pitching for the job, trying to get the job or writing the script, I'll be collecting images that I think work. So that's kind of like, I call it like a starter kit, you know? And then when I meet with the DP or the production designer, usually, or both of them, they have, this is my little starter kit of kind of where I started, but they might have a lot more time because maybe I'm working on casting and rewriting or 50 other things, locations guy they'll have more time to go deeper. Okay. Like if you put, um, you know, one interesting idea out, uh, they might be able to go like, Oh, like, let's say you found this picture of these drainage pipes, you know, that was from uh, Lord's Dogtown. And, um, maybe they'll say, okay, that's cool. But I found another image of drainage pipes that are even more interesting with a diagonal and this and that. So, you know, you could start with your ideas and then people might be able to embellish it, uh, take it even further than you did, you know, because cinematographer is definitely going to look at it in a way, different way than me. I might be looking at it more color. I mean, every artistic person supposedly has sort of like nine elements of design. Maybe only three of them are really important to each person. Like to me, color is like a big deal. You know, line is a big deal. Uh, texture is, but maybe somebody else might, you know, care more about another aspect of design and they're hypersensitive to that. So then you kind of get turned on to another thing that the DP cares more about how the light is or the contrast, you know. Have you ever gotten on set, which is uh, Christina asked a similar question, but like, have you ever been on set and then maybe you've gotten out of pace with your DP or you guys have lost uh, the vision? What tools do you use to bring them back? Oh, okay. Ooh, that's interesting. So ideally, you know, you've had some prep with the person and this is always desperate to get as much prep as you can. Um, and so that's why I would say I take extreme advantage of every second you have with your DP in prep, because it's literally like gold. I mean, if you realize that you both live on the same side of town or in the same hotel and you can ride together in a car for half an hour to the set, great, take the half hour, 10 minutes, take the 10 minutes. If they agree to it, have something in your hand, have your iPad there with some images you looked at so we can just get ourselves on the same page. But really what I was saying about the tech scouts, it's so important. You go on the tech scout or, or location scouting with the DP and hopefully you guys are both standing there and taking a picture, like setting people up in the frame, making the location scout stand in for your lead character, whatever, and discussing it in as much detail as you can so that you're just really in sync, you know. And I, I would guess, you know, actually, we, I have a, my DP and I on the last show, we, have, we both have our stuff in OneNote, you know, that uh, program. And so you can go into one, I can grab my iPad and show, but you can go into OneNote. Let me just get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, better than trying to describe it. So in OneNote, we have like script pages, 
we have, okay, hopefully I can find it. Um, we have the script pages, we have visual references, we have my little diagrams, we have the things that I, um, for example, let's see, okay, hey, this might work, maybe, oh yeah, okay, it does kind of work, <laughs> okay, so, you know, we can have, if we even, this is like very rough, but I don't know if you guys can see this, but, you know, like there you could click, you could see, um, okay, that's the diagram of the street, where the car is going to be, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's the exterior of the location, our, our hero angles that we both liked. These are little notes, like here's how the car is going to come around the corner. You know, um, you know, little crude visual, how we're going to do a special effects thing. Because obviously if it's a special effects, um, or a stunt, you do have to do some kind of a crude storyboard in one, you know, one way or another. So, you know, we'll I'll keep it all in one place if that makes any sense, and then we can both just grab it and look at it. Oh yeah, we meant this. Of course, we have the shot list and everything in there. That's great. That's great. Um, got so many more questions coming in, but I want to see what. Uh, what do you feel if you had to say this is the one most important thing if you can't do anything else in prep what's the one thing you say always do oh well everything i mean <laughs> i don't think you can separate that out i mean one thing you have to get on the same page is you have to be sure you're on the same page with the actors that they feel good about it that you have some time with the actors as many days as you can where they actually say the words out loud, you know, say the scenes out loud and or you talk to them about the scenes and be sure that they're not holding something in that they don't like about that scene. Because this is very common, you know, an actor will take the job and then they'll start really doing their research and really digging into each scene, you know, like we want them to to make every scene real and make their emotional journey like really important. And then they find things that don't quite work in the script that they don't feel good about. And sometimes they won't tell you until the day, the shooting day. And then you only have, you're like, oh my God, I got, you know, 20 minutes to get this scene or I've got an hour to get this scene. And suddenly they tell me about this whole problem with the dialogue or the lines, or we're not on the same page with where they came from the moment before. This kind of thing is, you know, a disaster when you're shooting. You don't have time for that. That should have been hashed out in an earlier discussion or in a rehearsal. And, you know, people sometimes don't let that out. You have to kind of be there and talk, talk actors through things, you know. And actually, I had another uh, quote, little display that I would have shown to everybody, but I had this page printed out. Um, this is... Uh, from the movie Miss You Already. This is Toni Collette, and she had to go through a whole phase of cancer treatment. So she loses her hair, she gains her hair back, she has to wear a wig, all different things. So to be sure that Toni and I were on the same page, even before we could put on the hairdresser, we put on, you know, I made this kind of chart with ideas and found out, you know, what different uh, stages of hair growing back would be like and how what kind of wigs could work and everything. And this could be phase one, two, three, and how we would accomplish it. And I sent this to Tony. She wasn't in L.A. at the time, but, you know, and I was in London. So I would send it to her and then we'd schedule a little time to talk through it because, 
when by the time she got there, it was only one week in advance. We already had to have the wigs and the stages figured out. We also had to figure out, is she really going to shave her hair or not? Why? Because all this completely impacts the schedule of the show and the schedule of the show impacted every location and everything. So this was stuff that had to be worked out in advance, but you had to be sure the actors were part of it and feeling really good about all this. And this is one that I, I think I showed in my presentation too. This was like a color palette sent for Drew Barrymore's character and like what location she would be in. And I thought that it would be good for multiple reasons that Tony's character wouldn't be the blonde and Drew would have the brown hair in this case. So I had to show Drew, here's a lot of cool images of you with the brown hair. It's more earthy like your character and it's gonna fit in the overall color palette. We found the houseboat you're gonna live in. Things to keep her engaged and be sure she's on the same page too because that affected Tony's hair color. You know, So all of that stuff had to be thought out like way in advance in a way to get wigs made and get everything going. So I would try to create like a fun thing to be able to send to somebody. So I would say the locations are like paramount. You've got to have the best locations you can that give you depth and everything and, and uh, lighting and they're going to look right and feel right for the characters. But you've also got to care most of all in a way about the actors <laughs> and that they're going to feel good about their parts, about what they're going to wear, all those kind of details. Because on one level, who cares about the set design, even though I used to be a production designer, if you don't care what's going on between the characters, you don't really care. If, it, if the person has cool skateboards up on their wall, who cares if I'm not interested in the scene? I love it. I love it. I'm going to grab one of these questions. They're all flowing in. Um, so many good ones. Okay. Uh, Parker, how communicative are you with your camera ops? Do you build a relationship or do you deal primarily with your DP and let them deal with their team? Well, I think that's a great question because I kind of don't like that, like a um, telephone playing telephone tag where I told the DP this and then they went over there and told them that. And then it's not really what I meant. So you hope that you can have a communication where when we talk about it, they're both there. To me, just in one shot, and I'll just say that, you know, hey, can we all talk about this? You know, hey, do you mind? Let's let's all talk about this. Even on phone calls with crew members, you know, we like to get all the people that need to be making the decision in the same Zoom or in the same room or whatever, so that, uh, well, the, the special effects person told me this, but the VFX wants this, and the you know, production designer wants this, let's all be together, you know, so with the DP, you know, you want to have that relationship that, that they feel good about it, and that you don't step on their toes. But sometimes the DP is doing a bigger problem, like the sun just went behind a cloud, and all the silks have to move. And you just want to do one little subtle thing different, like, right when Don Cheadle says this, let's move in closer to him. So some of those things, I don't think, but usually every time I say something to the operator, I literally go and tell the DP that I said that, you know, yeah. because, uh, you know, I don't want him to feel bad or say, why'd you do that? And yell at the guy or something. Um, we have a, a, another interesting question um, is, can you, 
since you have adapted a massive book series into a film for people who are adapting books into films and they're prepping, I think the question really is how much of the, how true do you stay to the story and how do you change it? Obviously, because sometimes you have to for your filmmaking purposes. Is there any um, guidance on that? Yes, and Twilight's a great example because those were super popular books at the time, especially they had, you know, just the diehard fans, not as many as they have now, but, you know, you still wanted all those fans to just love the movie, yet you can't, a movie and a book aren't the same. I mean, there's multiple pages in Twilight where we're just inside Bella's head thinking about Edward's cheekbones or something. That's not the most cinematic thing. So there are moments where you, um, you know, with the permission of the writer, of course, Stephanie Meyer, it would be like, how can we make it more cinematic? The feeling that I love that you wrote in the book about that ecstatic feeling of falling madly in love with somebody and just being, crazy in love. Maybe we're going to show that by having this treetop sequence that's not in the book, but we sail through the trees and it feels almost like ecstatic and beautiful, but there's nothing like that in the book. And also, but it gave the feeling of the book. So like, how do you present something like that and sell it to the writer or the studio or whatever? Cause that's going to cost money too. And I, I even have a little, maybe we can segue. I even have a little <laughs> drawing of that. Like I had that idea of doing this treetop sequence, but I've never done it before. There's never been a sequence like before. So I just had to draw a very crude little diagram like this. Like, let's start at the house. Let's go to that tree. Oops. Okay. I'm going the wrong direction. Let's go, <laughs> let's go to the tree. I see I'm not good at this mirror image thing. Okay. So you go to the tree next to the house and let's build a little platform there, you know, and then this part is going to be at a different location. And then the final part is going to be out in this other beautiful location where is it? Yeah, over here. And then finally, we're going to be on a helicopter. So it's a very crude drawing, but it actually was used like 10 times during shooting for, I mean, during prep to say, okay, now we're here. Now we're going to do this. Where's that line going to be said? Where are we going to build this? So sometimes, you know, you might have a really fun idea, but then you have to just uh, it might be overwhelming. How am I going to shoot this? How can I communicate this to anybody else? Just break it down in pieces, you know, and, and find examples and visuals. And I think I probably found some visuals from a National Geographic movie or something like that just showed, look, here's a bird's POV flying through a tree. You know, wouldn't this be cool if you see this? And you get people excited about it, you know. And uh, or in, in Twilight, you know, some of the characters were multiple friends characters, you know, and we needed to sort of combine. Let's have make these three girls into one. And then let's have Anna Kendrick play that part and give her a real personality. She's on the volleyball team. You know, um, uh, Christian Serratas, you know, let her uh, be working for the newspaper. You know, each person would have, give them a little bit more than the book, flesh them out more than the book. So it wasn't like taking away from the book. It was just additive to the book. And for example, um, the whole in fight scene at the ballet studio, that is pretty much off screen in the book. We kind of hear about it, but we don't see that like blow to blow action. And so I thought, 
I want to see it. You know, I don't want to just hear about it later. I want to actually see that ballet sequence. That so makes so much sense from the director's standpoint because it sets up a huge plot point of the film that, you know, that like these guys are fighting for, like trying to kill her. <laughs> so if you would have just put that as a side thing, I never read the books, but the movie, it, you needed it. Yeah. And so again, you know, like now you have to, it's not written in the book, so you don't know how vampires are supposed to fight. So, you know, myself and the stunt coordinator, we would try to improvise. Now, what could they do? What is something in the fight sequence that we haven't seen? You know, because there's so many great stunt coordinators and great fight sequences that we've seen. But how do you come up with something, you know, new or fresh or radical? And I don't know. One day I just thought, what if they, what if the vampire dived so far and just hit the wood and all the wood splintered, you know, and then later we use that to make a bonfire. So that turned out to be a fun thing that we could do. And, you know, like you just start building ideas, you know, and, and myself, Andy Chang and I, stunt coordinator, we were just like, wrestle around <laughs> bam what if they did this? what if they did this sometimes you just got to try stuff you know i wish i had the energy you have you have such infectious energy i, I love that so much uh, you know one other thing on the twilight thing too which i think is a good example of prepping your actors and rehearsing which i'm assuming this is rehearsal because your your twilight is the only twilight that captures that breath that like between edward and bella that's just I'm holding my breath thinking about it. And I'm assuming that was a lot of you working with them beforehand to, to get them to understand their relationship. Yes. And we had, um, we had sort of like an emotional tracking chart that I made. It was like kind of cool. Like that this is the closest we've gotten. Like we might've brushed fingertips in the biology lab, or we might have accidentally touched shoulders or, you know, so we kind of knew like at every moment because we made a chart because you can't shoot a film in order. You know, it's all out of order. And you some days, you know, you don't feel good or the rain. Yeah, for sure. We stay focused on where we are in the emotional timeline. And so that was something kind of fun. We had an emotional and touching <laughs> tracking timeline. <laughs> I, I, I can imagine. I have I have another complicated one for that movie Miss You Already that I usually show. I showed you in the Miss You Already thing. This is a very complicated tracking system because this movie had so many um, scenes that we went through multiple time periods from like spanned over two or three years. And we had to be, I don't know if you can see some of these details. It would say like, you know, where we are in the cancer treatment, where we are in IVF treatment, how messy is the house? How many bruises are wow. on our hands? What wig, this is back to the wig one, you know, what wig are we wearing now? And so I would have a copy of this kind of laminated, like in my fanny pack or something like that. And yes, you have a continuity person, but this also, I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, it had all the dates. It had the months of the year and everything because you actually, we had to change the landscape outside the windows to show, you know, it's spring. Okay, put the green spring tree now and put the rain effect out there. Now it's winter, put the dead tree outside. And sometimes you have to do like, you know, 10 different looks in one day. So I had to keep track of it. This had every scene number on it, every location. And, you know, all the details that I was supposed to remember. And yes, there is a continuity person, but they're not the director. Nobody's going to care as much as you care. And to be honest, on our case, the continuity 
uh, script supervisor actually um, quit in the middle or had a family situation or whatever. And so halfway through, we didn't even have the same continuity person. So thank God, you know, and you can't later on say, you know, oh, I know that doesn't match. I know it doesn't feel like the right mood. That scene doesn't feel like the right mood from the scene before because that person, the script supervisor was sick that day. No, you're the director. The buck stops with you. <laughs> you know, you have to get it right. And you can't put excuses up on the screen, little tag. Exactly. <laughs> I only had 10 minutes for that shot, people. <laughs> that day, you know, no. You have um, to take I, that away. GH has a great question because um, you have been directing some amazing TV like This Is Us. Um, he yeah. said... Is there a difference between preparing for a feature film versus preparing for a TV drama series where the crew is already established, but the director is new? Yeah, that was something interesting to go and do This Is Us, which is a, a beautiful show with a great cast and they already have, you know, really cool locations. So, you know, you're thinking, okay, can I contribute anything? <laughs> is there anything I can add to it? But of course there always is, you know, because the scenes are new scenes and, you know, and there might be new locations and new characters. So even on This Is Us, the first episode I did, there were like all of Miguel's um, children were at a Thanksgiving dinner. So you've got to find people that would work for, for his family, you know, uh, on the one I just did, which was uh, I got to use my architecture skills and actually um, this was in, I, can't, I guess it came out in February, but um, I had to tie together something they had shot a season before and another location and all this stuff and make it look like Jack was doing the drawing of this house. And it was a modern house. I'm like, whoa, but I'm an architect. So I said, Let, I drew what I thought would look good for the drawing. Well, that drawing actually turned out to be the drawing that's in the show. You see it multiple times. And then the last shot is on that drawing. <laughs> so, you know, I was able with my background to be helpful in that case. But there are certain things like there's a style of shooting that, you know, we don't do, you know, I remember the first time I'm like, oh, let's put the camera up here. We don't do shots like that, Kat. Okay, yeah. cool. You know, and um, so you do want to fit into the vocabulary that's already established and be as expressive as you can within that vocabulary. Love it. I, we have a limited time. So those of you watching, uh, get your burning questions about prep. There's something that I missed that I didn't ask. I feel like we've gotten a wealth of, of knowledge and I hope everybody's taking great notes. Uh, get those questions in. Let me see if there's anything in here that I might've missed. Um, there's a lot of compliments to you about people just really loving. <laughs> that this is very helpful and they think that you're amazing. Um, I've got another thing I could show. If Go for it. Yes. Okay. So this is a scene from this show already. And you were talking about what if it's a very simple scene, like, um, you know, this just around a table. Okay. Cause this was a scene that had a bunch of people around a table and I did still do a, like a shot list for it. This is only part of the shot list. I think it went on for like a page and then I did a diagram for where the camera would be. And then I drew also drew a little photo, a little crude sketch of where everybody should sit. Then I got there early. You know, I always get there early and I put a place 
card on the table for where I wanted each actor to sit. And the reason, and it's kind of excessive or, you know, over the top, whatever, but it saved probably 25 or 30 minutes by me knowing where I wanted everybody to sit because otherwise you could have a talk. Okay. Drew, Dominic, you know, each character might say, oh, maybe I would sit here or, or the lighting guy, maybe it would be here. You know, everybody might have a different opinion. So you could spend 30 minutes of your limited shooting day figuring out where everybody was going to sit. But when I had the little name tags, every, nobody argued with me. You know, I just, they just walked in, everybody sat in their places. I had a reason for it all. I thought it out and, you know, we just went smoothly. And also like on a scene like that, for example, there's a crusty old crew of British, you know, uh, gaffers and grips and all this stuff that weren't really that excited to be working with me or whatever woman or whatever these are really old school guys but the fact that i was like super organized every day and i knew what i wanted every day and when they all walked into the set i would always be standing where i wanted the first shot to be i'd always be standing where the camera is looking in that direction so if people started wheeling in their carts i'd be like you're in the shot boom back here, back here. So they didn't move their carts two times or three times. Yeah. I, knew I knew what I wanted all the time. And I never left. I don't, I don't have a trailer on any of the movies I've done or anything. Cause what am I going to be doing in a yucky trailer? They're bad for the environment, dragging all that stuff around. Plus I need to be there, you know, where the scene is happening. So, you know, I could just keep everything moving, all the pieces going. Yeah, we're looking this direction. The light is here. You know, this is where the actors are. And I could be watching the clock. How long is it taking to get everybody here? We're ready, guys. Let's go. Yeah. I love it. We have time for one more. And I'm going to just uh, go with RM because he says we touched on uh, deciding between a moving master or shooting with more cutty coverage. What are things you consider when choosing how to visually cover a scene? I do believe this is one of the hardest things for directors to decide. Like, do I sit them at a table? Do I move them around? And I know we kind of touched on it. I don't know if there's a magic answer. Well, I think it's all energetic to the scene and the flow of the whole movie. Like if every single scene were moving and the camera's moving around, you know, people would probably get pretty darn dizzy. And, you know, you never have a moment to catch up, catch your breath think about what it would be like to be in that person's shoes so that, you know, so sometimes you need to have a nice rhythm and a pace where things alternate between frenetic, radical energy and calmer. But sometimes like even that thing that I just showed, like if I did a diagram and it looks so boring to me, then I, if I'm just bored out of my mind doing my diagram, I think, okay, let's push it a little bit harder is there any way to make that shot to people sitting at a table in any way more interesting? <laughs> you know, I would try to challenge myself, but maybe it's not supposed to be interesting. I mean, you know, after you've tried three ideas, you might say, no, I think it's right. This is a shot that's more static and more simple and we need it to catch our breath. So, but I usually do push myself like, if I'm bored with my shot list, I always do a shot list. If it just says single, single, this, that, I'm like, oh my God, a, a robot could have written this shot list. You know? That makes a lot of sense. Cause I think sometimes we do that just like, okay, I know I need, I need a close, I need a two, I need a close, I need a two. And then you have to go back and go, okay, how do I make that too interesting? That makes a lot of sense. 
love it. And then sometimes I'll have like the bonus shot, like if I can get this done and then I know it's going to cover that the TV studio will be comfortable with the coverage, but let me try one more cool, like connecting shot or one more interesting thing. If I can get this done in time, you know, or two more awesome things, you know, so like you can always have your bonus shots that if you catch up, you can do another cool thing. Love it. I love it. I we would we could go on forever. I'm so grateful for the hour you've given us, Catherine. I'm I know that there's still a billion questions because it's just there prep is such a huge important part of our business. And I think even in indie films, we don't get enough time to prep. But I think that's something we need to push for more often. Um I loved hearing all this. I know everybody else did. So I just want to say thank you to you for joining us. I don't know if you have any last minute thoughts for our filmmakers. I do want to give a last minute thought, which of course is Don't Look Deeper, which was a whole, you know, it's on Quibi right now that you can go on the Quibi app and watch it. And it's a whole new challenge, you know, for myself and, uh, you know, having stories in 10 minute episodes made me be even more efficient in the storytelling, more efficient in the frame. And you you can watch it in vertical or horizontal. So yeah, that, that's that's crazy. That's a whole conversation to even like how you even filmed that and got that to work. Yeah, but what's cool is I think it's great to just take on a new challenge, stretch your brain. You know, in that case, I try to think of it positively because of course I was thinking, how could it be better than landscape? But you know, in landscape, you see the whole environment. Like I see all your cool things you have around there. But if I got in close and turned it vertical, I would be more intimate on your face. So it's almost like I'm FaceTiming with you. So I try to, you know, see the positive. Let's let's make it really cool and you know, learn how to compose in a different format. So I would encourage people to be open try new things, check out this. Our actress is amazing. And Don Cheadle and Emily Mortimer are fantastic. Helena. The trailer looked great. And you're getting a million thank yous um, in the feed right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Filmmakers who are watching, stick around for a second because we're going to show you our Black Magic Collective pick of the month film. And I have some other announcements for you. And Catherine, we bow down to you. Thank you for being an inspiration to all of us. Thank you so much for having uh, me. So, thank you.